0: Let's turn to the book of Galatians. You might not think of Galatians as a Christmas passage, but it is. And we're going to jump into the middle of the letter. And just to set it up a little bit, Paul has been interacting with the Galatians. He helped, or he really was on the leading edge of bringing Christianity to Galatians, uh, to the Galatian region, uh, to the cities of Galatia. And he's writing back this letter because he has concerns about their spiritual condition because they received gladly the doctrine of grace. They were saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, gloriously. And now they're at risk of retreating back into their old ways and their old religions to the neglect of the gospel. And so he, he's pouring out his heart and this letter As he's responding to that, he doesn't want them to, so as he says in chapter one, to so quickly retreat from what they have received in Christ. The issues at stake are huge. So he writes to them in verse one He says, Now I say, as long as an heir, or as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave. Although he is an owner of everything, you look at small children, sometimes they think they're slaves in the home or they have no standing or life is so tough, so hard, and uh, they really don't understand the the privilege that's theirs. Paul says, uh, really, he's setting the stage and he's going to draw on the reality and the imagery of Old Testament Israel to say, you know, down through those years, all those hundreds of years, thousands of years, God was at work among your people. He was, and he's, re, he's really writing to Jewish believers in Galatia up in a Greek region, but with a rich Jewish heritage. He says, God was at work among your people, bringing you to the point where he wanted you to be. And along the trail, you were like a child growing up in the home who is just as much a member of the family as the parents and the grandparents or whoever might be a part of that family but they are limited in in their privileges and their experiences just by their age and they're being brought along and prepared for adulthood in that family relationship and so he says you know sometimes children can't see any difference between them and the slaves Uh, they don't get to do everything they want to do and they don't get to have everything they want to have and so in their minds their status is reduced not perceiving the wonder of where they're headed he says continuing that image in verse 2 but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father i was reading recently about edward the the boy king the, the british josiah uh, came to the throne of england at about age nine and uh, ruled for a relatively short period of time, but he was under guardians and managers. Uh, A a kid that age couldn't run the British world, and so he had guardians around him. He was the king. The, The crown was his. The future was his if he lived, but he had to have help to get him to the right place. And Paul says it's like that. Uh, For us, God is moving his people along to the right time when you experience the fullness of all that he has in store for you. So also, we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. Now, to the Greeks reading Galatians, uh, and it is part of the Greek world where they are, uh, for those folks, the elemental things of the world were all kind of things of a secular pagan world. For the Jewish background folks reading Galatians, that's that Jewish heritage. But he says there's a bondage to that. And you have to be theologically very careful at that point because the Old Testament is God's word. The law that Moses gave to the nation of Israel is not a bad thing. It's a really, really, really good thing. Where would the world be without the ethics and the morality of the Ten Commandments and all the accompanying laws that come with that? The law is good. It shows us the heart of God. It gives direction to a culture, and it reveals to us our sinfulness and our spiritual need of the Messiah, of the Savior. But while children, there's a a bondage to the elemental things, the the basic things. There's something more glorious that's out there uh, that needs to be reached, that needs to be obtained. And Paul is trying to aim the Galatians toward that, uh, trying to get them to grasp the reality that uh, there is no substitute for Christ and what he has done, and there need be no retreat from that glorious salvation back to anything short of that. Now, verse four is the key verse of the paragraph. It's the, the centerpiece, and you hear this at Christmas time. Uh, you hear it in some music. You, hear it, uh, you see it on posters, uh, and you'll read about it in Sunday school lessons. you probably cross paths with Galatians 4, 4 before. Paul says, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. In the fullness of time, when the time had fully come, uh, it's the date set that was referred to back in verse 2. Paul said, you know, that child growing up in the home has limitations until he attains adulthood at a set date, an understood point when he would be mature. There's a time. And God speaks here of the providence of God. Providence is that point of theology that describes God's interaction, current and ongoing continuing interaction with our world and our lives. Uh, The deist said he started everything, wound it up, Turned it loose and went away and left it to itself. Our biblical theology says, oh, no, no. We trust in the providence of God that he is immediately present with us day by day, moment by moment, involved in the details of our lives, knowing everything, involved in everything. God is there in our lives. That's providence. Verse 4 is all about the providence of God and the perfect timing When the time had fully come, the date set had fully come, God sent forth the Son, having become of a woman, in other words, taking on humanity, and having become under the law. He has been born into the world where all those principles of the law are there uh, that uh, serve to bring uh, a measure of condemnation on the human race because it shows, as Paul says to the Romans, all have sinned to come short of the glory of God, the law of God, the standard of God. Everybody's in trouble. Everybody, everybody needs a Savior. And coming into that world comes Jesus from eternity past. Jesus is not a, a latter-day thought of God. God uh, is expressed in the person of Jesus who's existed in eternity past. But here in Galatians 4.4, he takes on humanity born of a woman in a simple setting, born into the system. Uh, Daniel gave an image. It's really an interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream of an image that has a head of gold and arms of silver and a belly of bronze and legs of iron. And and the king is all confused about that. And only Daniel, with the grace of God, can interpret that properly. And he says, oh, king, that, that head, that golden head is you. It speaks of the Babylonian Empire. Really, about 700 years before Jesus, the Assyrians came and wrecked everything. They almost, kind of like that little candle thing we have here on Sunday mornings, got down to a flame, a little small flame in Jerusalem, and everything else was devastated by the Assyrians. And hanging by a thread was the purpose of God, but a profound thread. Came through that, and the Assyrians fell uh the babylonians rose to power took the the lord's people into captivity three waves of them the lucky ones went into captivity the blessed ones went into captivity they were the preserved remnant and in due season over a 70 year period they went in and came back out and rebuilt the temple but while in babylon they established synagogue life the forerunner to the local baptist church in the 21st century where they gathered and studied the scriptures and worshiped together and encouraged one another. It was there they were purged of idolatry. You read your Old Testament down to the Babylonian captivity, and it's all these issues about idolatry. You get on the other side of that, and all that's gone. Still a lot of moral problems and and issues and spiritual deficiencies, but the idolatrous part is radically dealt with. The Persians replaced the Babylonians. Daniel lived through that transition. We were talking about that for a moment at our house yesterday. And the Persians brought uh, a great uh, freedom to to, uh, express yourself religiously however you wanted to. And the Lord's people were set free to rebuild their temple. The Aramaic language came out of that, that Jesus would have spoken. Uh, It was uh, an amazing time of pushing forward. They were replaced in due season by Alexander the Great and the Greeks that... Reigned for a short time, and the Greeks passed it on to uh, various versions of the Greek culture that followed. They gave the world a universal language in which our New Testaments were written Koine Greek. They scattered the Jewish people around the Mediterranean, uh, and they immediately clustered in synagogues and, and began to worship and translate the Bible into that new international language. The Septuagint is Greek Old Testament translated out of the Hebrew. And all that happened in the age of the Greeks. And they were replaced in due season by the Romans who brought an amazing structure, a lot of persecution against the church, but an amazing structure of roads and law and control. And the stage was set. For 700 years through all of those empires, God was setting the stage. And when Jesus is born in Bethlehem, God has moved heaven and earth and all these things to bring about the birth of one baby that would change everything as Elizabeth saying. It's amazing what God when the time was fully come when the time was perfect God did that which was perfect. For you and that's what Christmas is about. Uh, your salvation is no small matter in the mind of God. We get in such Americans, we're in such a hurry. And God worked for years and centuries to bring about that setting for your salvation. Uh, About eight pastors of the LBA went to Israel a couple weeks ago and had a great trip. Somebody paid for all those guys to go, free for nothing, amazing. They Had a great experience. And I was talking to one of them about it. He said, oh, it was just great. It was glorious. He said, the only thing I didn't really care about was that church. Wait a minute, what are, what are you talking about? And he, and he started to describe the church of the nativity in Bethlehem. He said, "All oh, the smoke and incense and all the clutter and all that stuff. He said, I just didn't really get anything out of it. I said, well, wait, 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 wait a minute. You've got to take the curtains off the wall and take the lanterns off the ceiling and, and get all the incense and the smoke out of there and all the ornamental stuff that men have put there and see the simplicity of that cave, that simple little Cave that served as a barn on the backside of a house. And in that little humblest of settings, in little tiny Bethlehem, the Messiah of the world was born. That's our Christmas. He says in verse 5 uh, so that he might redeem those who were under the law. That's these folks in the Galatian region who came out of a culture of the law, the Jewish culture who are thinking about, and some of them have already started moving back under the law. Having been set free in Christ, they want to get back under the bondage of the law, the rules, the do's and the don'ts, the legalisms. Oh, no, Galatians, don't mess up now. Having come this far in your spiritual knowledge, don't mess up now. He came to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption his sons. Adoption is a, it's a, it's a social reality in almost every culture, including our own. It's a profound biblical theological reality. It says those who had no place in the family suddenly have a special place in the family. And not because they deserve it or because they've done anything clever or merited it, but because somebody has chosen them and received them into full familyhood. They are part of the family. The perfect baby that changed everything came to redeem those under the law that they might be set free from their sin dilemma, that they might be adopted, not as church members, but as sons of God. It's an incredible thought. You can't can't get all of that into your head. It's, It's too good. It's too much. It's too profound. And God did that, and he did it. He worked at it for hundreds of years to set the stage for it. And when it was just right, he pulled the trigger, and Jesus was born. And everything since then has looked back to that point of the coming of Jesus the Messiah. Everything that's good and decent and purposeful and of eternal significance in our lives looks back to that day when Jesus says, now the time is perfect. Now Messiah will come, and he will teach perfectly. He will suffer and die and rise again, and he will redeem perfectly, conclusively, profoundly. That's what Jesus did for us. He says, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That's that's an overwhelming thought also. Abba is the easiest thing to say For children in any culture, whether they're little Asian guys or uh, Anglos or Africans, uh, Abba, uh, just the two easiest syllables that you can pronounce and they, they make a good name for father or daddy. And he says, because the Messiah has come in perfect timing and redeemed and set the stage for the going forth of the gospel, it is now possible for God's Holy Spirit to indwell you and through you to cry out to God legitimately to cry out, Abba, Father. We are taught by the Bible that God is absolutely holy. He's out there. We can't reach him in our own strength or our own morality. He's too much better than us. But through the wonder of theological adoption, you can call God, Abba, Father. I raised uh, three boys at our house. Uh, I was usually called dad, I think, most of the time by them. I called my dad, Daddy, growing up. I don't know what you use in your family. Now I've got several different grandfathers. Uh, there's a grandpa that comes from Wendy's family and... I'm not, that's not my, anyhow, but that gets used some. And uh, my grandfathers were Papa Doc. He was a doctor. Papa Doc and Papa Joe. And so Papa's another grandfather. And so, you know, all these names are kind of floating around. But uh, when you hear those names, my kids called my dad Pop. And I tell you, when they called him Pop, they could get anything they wanted If they went in demanding something or with an attitude, they got absolutely nothing other than, well, it just didn't go well. But use that name, Pop. Pop, could we go to the varsity, get in the car? I mean, it was just a done deal. It was the key. It was the ticket, uh, the heart connection, the reality that these young people have something profound to do with this older person. And... Paul says to the Galatians, it's like that in Christ. In Christ, you can call out to God using a, not just a, a calling him a, a great God of heaven, but Abba, Father. And you can pour out your heart, your needs, your, your concerns, your spiritual burdens, your goals, your life, and you set it before him in a very, very deeply personal way. Not because you deserve that, but because you've been adopted, because Jesus came at the right time and did everything perfectly. The wonder of Christmas. Absolutely incredible. And then he says in verse 7, finishing the paragraph, Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. Or it's okay, you can say, or daughter. Uh, the intent is there. Uh, Doug Moo would say, make it both. You're not, you are sons and daughters. And if sons and daughters then heirs through God it's your stuff it's your it's your world by the grace of God God has said you are my family and i love you profoundly and i want to pour out of the overflow of what is mine in heaven i want to pour out on you that which is good for you and spiritually productive in your life that doesn't mean that you get all the stuff in the world that you want that's not the purpose that would be a cheap counterfeit for what's being promised here But he's talking about spiritual sonship and being spiritual heirs of profound, spiritual, eternal realities. It's yours in Christ, through Christ, through the finished work of Jesus Christ. You can be a child of the heavenly father and call him father. Last week we saw uh, the Lord teaching on how to pray from the Sermon on the Mount. And he talked about the hallowedness of the name of God, but that he is father. And our appeal is on the basis of relationship. Think about that. There are just several realities that I I would want you to just take home with you in terms of application. When you read Galatians 4, especially 4, 4, verse 4, I'd want you to take home with you a sense of your value if God moves heaven and earth and and shifts empires around and overturns kingdoms and does all that to set the stage for Jesus, and it has you in mind, you are valuable in Christ. Not by your own nature, not by your own merits, but in Christ, you are incredibly valuable. Whatever else might be true of your circumstances, you are precious in the sight of God. And you need to know that on Christmas morning or this afternoon or wherever you go. And whatever your context is and all the, the highs and lows of life, you are precious and valuable to God. He is your Abba Father and someday you'll experience the fullness of the redemption that was initiated in Bethlehem in that cave. Second thing I want you to, uh, to take home with that is the sovereignty of God. The Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans, all those great empires, they had one thing in common. They were all full of themselves. They were absolutely convinced that they were just supremely awesome. God says, no, you're just pawns on the table. I'll move you around. I'll set you up. I'll take you down. I'm moving you all around to accomplish my purposes because I'm the sovereign Lord of the universe. And through Christ, through your Christian faith, You worship a God who is in control. We'll look at Isaiah next week, but you look at the prophets and you look at the reality of what we've already looked at this morning. You say, God's not in a hurry to do anything, He is not on our timetable. Who's going to fly out to Korea tonight? Boy, you've got this itinerary. You're going to get here. You've got to be there to get on that one, to get on that one, to get off here and get there. And it's all lined out, and, and we got to, it's got to happen quick. It's got to be comfortable without glitches. God says, wait a minute. I do what I do in my timing, not yours. And if I want to take 700 years to do this, I'll do that. But it will be perfect when I do it. It is my set time. You serve a sovereign God. The third reality has to do, we've been talking in recent weeks about prayer. And out of this great passage to the Galatians is this, that reminder of the Abba Father factor and your relationship to God and that you can pray. Uh, I've seen uh, Muslims pray in Egypt. I've seen uh, people pray. You know, you watch things on, you see people doing all, turning wheels and all these things we do. And Paul says, no, no, no. We don't do all that stuff. Speak to God relationally because he is your Abba Father. And that prayer life, we talked about the five kinds of prayer in recent weeks. You can do all of that on the basis of that relationship and on the basis of nothing else. But that shapes our prayer life. And the fourth thing I want you to take home with you out of that is just your security. Uh, this notion that you can weave in and out of Christendom and be saved one day and lost the next day and back in the next day and... And hopefully, the day that you die, you'll be on in the, in the black instead of in the red as uh, craziness. And the picture that Paul gives us here is a profound, God-given sense of security. You're his. And nothing is going to snatch you out of his hand. The Presbyterian friends call it perseverance of the saints. In the Baptist world, we talk about eternal security. Once saved, always saved. It's just the security you have In Christ. you think there's anything that could change my heart about my children or my children-in-laws or my grandchildren? Uh, There is nothing that the the world has to offer that can undo that spiritual heart connection. And so it is with God. And and Galatians is saying, you are his. Profoundly adopted. You didn't choose him. He chose you and, and came into your world and adopted you. Out of the ranks of those who are perishing in their sin. says, I want you to come home with me. And I want you to call me Abba. I want you to call me Father. Salvation is incredible. And all the Christmas stuff. You can have all the stuff at all the malls and all the decorations. I mean, they're great and they're fun. And, and it, it always looks great in here. But you can have all that. If you don't have Jesus... And the Abba Father factor, you can have all the rest. It's worthless without Christ. Bow with me, if you will. Father, we're grateful this morning for Jesus the Savior who came at just the right time to be our Savior and our Redeemer. We're grateful for the unmerited favor and grace that we have through our Savior Jesus. Lord, I pray for any that. Might be here this morning that are struggling with that and who've celebrated Christmas and wrapped packages but not quite sure about their heart's connection to you. I pray that you'll give them believing faith and encouragement this day that they might be walking this Christmas season in oneness with you through Jesus. I pray for a room full of Christians that we might be encouraged in our faith and a struggling, bewildering world that has lots of problems. We're grateful that the the profoundest of problems, the greatest of problems, have been conclusively dealt with through the ministry of our Savior. Lord, we are grateful for Paul's reminder that you are our Abba. We can pray to you and trust you and trust your timing, trust your provision, your providence. We look to you in complete faith and ask your hand of blessing on our Christmas season. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.